A disclaimer to our listeners. This episode may possibly trigger you. The subject that will be discussed deals with the sexual abuse of a minor. She was a tiny, black-haired young girl. Five years old. That's it. Five years old. And she was being sexually abused by her father. And the only reason, the only reason we know this was happening was because her father, whose name was Paul Adams, confessed to his bishop that he had been sexually abusing his daughter. Now, her father was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a Mormon. Within the Mormon church, the local spiritual leader is called a bishop. And in many ways, they are similar to a priest, a rabbi, etc. But their significant difference is that it is not a paid position. And number two, they are not formally trained in ministry. So in this case, Paul Adams, bishop, was a family physician. That was his profession. That's what he did for his living. And he was also the bishop of this particular ward in Bisbee, Arizona. Well, when the bishop heard about what was taking place, he followed protocol. And protocol is that you were to call a, if you would, a hotline in order to talk to someone about what you ought to do in scenarios like this. Just pause right there for a moment and think about what I just said. There was a procedure in place to deal with this, to deal with what happens when a bishop hears one of his congregants are abusing a child. So apparently it is very prevalent. Otherwise, you wouldn't need this to begin with. Well, they called, the bishop called, and initially he spoke to a social worker. They asked certain questions of him to get the context of what he was reporting. And then from there, he was transferred to one of the lawyers for the church. On that phone call with the lawyer, he was told, and I'm quoting now, you absolutely can do nothing. He was not to call the police or child welfare officials. Think about that now. You can't do a thing. And the reason why he was told he couldn't do anything was that in Arizona, there is what is called clergy penitent privilege or Pastor confession, you can't share that. In fact, what the law actually says is the following. Clergy, physicians, nurses, or anyone caring for a child with reasonable, who reasonably believes a child has been abused or neglected has a legal obligation to report the information to police or the State Department of Child Safety. Again, notice, clergy, physicians, nurses, or anyone who is caring for a child, if you reasonably believe that they are being abused, you are to report it. But then it goes on in the law, and it says the following. 
clergy who receive information about child neglect or sexual abuse during spiritual confessions may withhold that information from authorities if the clergy determine it is reasonable and necessary under church doctrine. You're talking about a loophole, aren't we? Here it is, a minister, in this particular case, a bishop of the Mormon church, hears the confession of one of his parishioners that he is sexually abusing his daughter, calls the leaders of the church, the lawyers of the church, and they tell him, keep quiet. Don't say a word to anyone about this. Why? Well, apparently they believe it is reasonable and necessary to stay quiet under church doctrine. So that's what the bishop did. He was quiet. He was silent. He did tell another bishop, and that bishop also was silent. Well, Paul Adams continued to see this bishop for counseling. And during that time, he continued to abuse his daughter. More than likely, that abuse occurred for another seven years, well into the period of time when she was an adolescent. And that is horrible of itself. But during that period of time, Paul Adams began to abuse the infant sister of that victim. During that period of time, while he was abusing this older daughter, they had another child, an infant, a baby girl, and he began abusing her all along, all this whole time. The bishop knew what he was doing, and they were silent. Well, in 2017, he was finally arrested by Homeland Security agents, but the way they were able to finally arrest him, take him away from his daughters, the only way they were able to do that was on their own. There was no help whatsoever from the church. Now, there is a fascinating article written by Michael Resendis entitled Seven Years of Sexual Abuse, How Mormon Officials Let It Happen. It was an AP news article which appeared in August of 2022, and you will find it, that link, down in the show notes. Fascinating read. It's the basis upon this podcast. In that article, they interview 16-year-old MJ. That's her, that's the name that we will use for her in order to keep anonymity. But this young girl, who at the age of five, until she was in her adolescence being abused by her father, says the following in an interview. I just think that the Mormon church really sucks. <laughs> Do you blame her? I really just think that the Mormon church really sucks. Seriously sucks, she says. They are just the worst type of people from what I've experienced and what other people have also experienced. Here is a girl who's being abused by her father and the spiritual leaders, her spiritual community does nothing about it. 
So we should not be surprised that once her father was arrested and taken away and the six children that were in that household were placed in different locations, we should not be surprised that three of those children filed suit against those bishops of that local ward and the church. The basis of their lawsuit is the following. They are accusing them of negligence and conspiring to cover up child sex abuse to avoid costly lawsuits and protect the reputation of the church. Again, MJ, two of her sisters, sue the bishops, they sue the church, and the basis of that is they did this as a cover-up in order to avoid costly lawsuits and protect the reputation of the Mormon church. Once being sued, the church provided lawyers for the bishops and the church. William Meldon, who is an Arizona attorney, says the following, These bishops did nothing wrong. They didn't violate the law, and therefore, they can't be held liable. And then he went on. This guy has the goal to go on and say the following. He said that the suit was purely a money grab. Here's a young girl who has been abused for years. And the defense, the lawyers for the church are saying that this is a money grab. Now, here's where it gets interesting, is that the argument that the church's lawyers use is based upon a law which exists in Arizona as well as 20 other states. For example, it says that the case that the bishop argues for, I mean, the lawyer argues on behalf of the bishop and the church says the following, it hinges entirely on whether Arizona's child abuse reporting statute requires two church bishops to report to authorities confidential confessions made to them by the plaintiff's father. Going on, it says, Arizona reporting statute broadly exempts confidential communications with clergy as determined by the clergyman himself. Reasonable people can debate whether this is the best public policy choice, but that is not an issue for a jury or this court. As much as it, it irks me that they're are making these arguments, they're telling the truth. There are laws which basically leave it up to the clergy person to make this call. Well, in this particular case, the bishop calls the, the higher-ups and speaks to the church's lawyers, and they tell him, hey, be quiet. So, first of all, that whole definition of what is a clergy person is becoming more and more vague because of a lack of ministers, pastors, rabbis in different churches and priests the more and more individuals who are not formally trained to be ministers are taking on that role. And so it's beginning to be really fuzzy on what is defined as a clergy person and what is considered to be a confession. And apparently, the clergy person gets to decide this. 
They get to decide if they are going to be confidential or not. MJ, in her lawsuit, is arguing that the only reason the Mormon church told the bishop to be careful is they didn't want the lawsuit and they were trying to protect their reputation. Now, MJ is not the only one, and her lawyers are not the only ones saying this. This is a civil lawsuit, but also there is a criminal investigation going on. And Cochise County Attorney Brian McIntyre, he asked the following questions. Who's really responsible for the bishops not disclosing this information? Is it the bishop? Is it the bishop who said he followed the church lawyer's instructions not to report the abuse to authorities? Or, ultimately, is the people who gave the bishop that advice, are they the ones who are responsible? This is such a loophole when it comes to reporting sexual abuse and protecting young children. We have a law which allows clergy to not do anything, to be silent, and allow the abuse to continue to occur. Now, this episode is only part one. And in part two, we're going to look at some of these deeper issues in that law itself. So, for example... Back in March of 2021, there was an effort in this Arizona legislature to eliminate this clergy penitent privilege, to get rid of it, to not have this loophole anymore. Well, that bill that was written never made it out of committee, never made it out of committee. And some of the forces behind it that were encouraging them not to let it go beyond committee were Roman Catholic Church, the Mormon Church, Jehovah Witnesses, and other Christian churches. Why? Why does this loophole continue to exist? Is it that important that there be this clergy penitent privilege? I mean, when I stop and think about how I would react if I had a church member tell me that they were abusing their child, would I be silent? If they said, I'm telling you this in confidence. Well, just because the law allows me not to do anything, is that the moral thing to do? Is that the ethical thing to do? What is my responsibility, not only to this individual who is the perpetrator, but what is my responsibility as a minister to the victim? Who, especially a child, who is standing up for the child? One of the other things the article points out that to me was amazing was that the mother of these children, she was struggling psychologically and chose just basically to do nothing. Understand that within the Mormon church, the role of women is different than in many progressive churches within Christianity. And so they are seen as being subservient to the men. And so 
she chooses to do nothing. So who is there to protect these children? If the clergy are going to basically say this is something that we need to do to protect and to have the, the openness for individuals to come in and be able to sit down and talk to us and confess their sins and perhaps find salvation and be restored and stop doing that, take that on one side. But on the other side, you someone comes in, they make the confession, they get the guilt off of them for a little while. And the minister does nothing, and the person continues to victimize that child. So the question is, what is the justification for such a privilege to exist to begin with? This, this is more than just a spiritual matter. These are young people who are being hurt over and over and you have to ask yourself, for at least I have to ask myself, what is the motive for keeping quiet? Why would those lawyers tell this bishop to stay quiet? Just because they're afraid that people won't come in and do confessions anymore? Is that, the, is that one of the reasons? And that's what we need to look at in this second episode that we will be doing for you. So where is this balance? between the spiritual side, but yet on the other side, we have laws as a society that are there to protect young people. And if a person has the ability to protect someone and chooses not to for spiritual reasons, is that adequate? The other thing is in that law, it says that if the clergy determine it is reasonable and necessary under church doc doctrine, they can be quiet. Well, again, who gets to decide what is reasonable and necessary? And who will ask the tough question, which is, what church doctrine would allow this to begin with? This is a very complex issue, and I'm not going to tell you that, that it's easy for me to figure it out and have an answer for you. But you kind of know that you expect that from me. I'm not going to give you the easy answers. I'll ask you the questions and encourage you to think about it for yourself. But I can tell you this, this really frustrates me. You know, we here at our church, we have what is called safe church. There are stipulations, there are things that have to be done before a young person is allowed, I mean, I'm sorry, before an adult is allowed to work with a young person, a child. But we can have all that in place. But if a clergy person learns about this and does nothing about it, what's the use of that? If they know someone in their church is abusing a child and they choose to remain quiet because of this clergy penitent privilege, you can put all the safeguards you want in place. But as long as the clergy remain quiet, what's the use of those? Now, again, like I said, this is a complex issue, and that's why we need a part two on this. We need a part two to begin to talk a little bit deeper into why this clergy penitent privilege exists to begin with. And what would happen if we take it away? What would happen if 
states like this one in Arizona would say, no, we're not going to, we're going to close that loophole. We're not going to let this happen anymore. What would happen? What would be the spiritual ramifications? That's what we're going to look at in this next episode. But in the meantime, I encourage you to perhaps read the article that you'll find in the show notes and begin to ask yourself, what is the best thing for our society? What is the best thing for clergy, for pastors, rabbis, priests? What is the best thing for them to do for the well-being of the child and our society? Churches continue to be accused of abusing children. It's more than just the Roman Catholic Church. It's in Protestant churches. It's in Mormon churches. It's in Jehovah Witnesses. It's a problem. What is the best way to stop it? And again, you may just, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, it has to do with you because you live in a society where this is continuing to happen. And these young victims are going to suffer the ramifications of the actions of these adults who not only perpetrate them, but also who allow it to continue. We live in such a society, and we are walking the streets with victims who are just trying to figure out how to live their life given the trauma and the abuse that they experience as children. So what? What can we do? How can we say, eh, it has nothing to do with me? No, that isn't true. It has a lot to do with you and I. I would love to hear your feedback. I would love to hear your insights, your questions. One of the things I enjoy doing is responding to your emails and answering those questions. And so if you'll notice on the bottom of the screen, media at beatitudeschurch.org, send me those questions, send me your comments. I will reply and I would love to get your insights because you may know something or see something that I have not yet been able to see. I got blinders just like anyone else. They limit my purview. So that's where you can come in and help me. I know it's not a subject that is easy to talk about. It's not a subject that's easy to listen to. In fact, for me, I purposely will not watch TV shows or movies that have to do with the abuse of children or children being kidnapped. I just can't handle it. And so I thought long and hard about doing this one. And the main reason I did it was because it has to do with people who are in the same profession that I am. And I feel a responsibility as a minister in this profession to speak out, at least give my opinion. If I'm wrong, I'll, I'll admit it. But right now, I don't think I am. But again, I'm willing to listen. Well, again, thank you for your time. And I hope whatever you're doing, that you will stay safe out there and that you will be a citizen that is aware of others who need help. And perhaps you can be a person who can offer that help. So until we meet again, take care.